Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. Expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Coming up on episode 304 of Wheelbearings, we've got the Lexus RX500H, the Mercedes-Benz GLE SUV, the Ram Rampage, a possible electric replacement for the Kia Stinger, Texas and Washington mandate NACS connectors on their EV chargers, Rivian buys a better route planner, and we get our first look at the Chevy Silverado EV work truck. 
All that and more coming up next. This is episode 304 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam with Wheel Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin from the Road Reflected Podcast. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Ars Technica. And uh, I guess uh, you don't have anything to t- that you can talk about this week, right, Robbie? <laughs> I, did lo- I did a lot to try. I went to Germany and I saw a bunch of things I'm not allowed to talk about. And then I went to um, I went to to Korea and I drove the EV9, but I can't mm-hmm. talk about it yet. Um, and uh, I just got back. So the Celtos and the Audi Q8, they're both in my driveway. I've only driven each of them like to the store. So I can't, so I really can't say much other than they're cars. So do they look yeah. like cars? They appear to be yeah. working cars. Do they, do they both have four wheels? They both have four wheels, a steering wheel. Uh, one is the gas version and one is the uh, electric version. And okay. that's. Um, pretty much. Let me think. There's got to be something I can just say quickly about them. Uh, oh, so the I'll, Q8 is the new, Q, the the rebranded e-tron, e-tron, which is now the yeah. Q8 e-tron, e-tron. which is not the same as a Q8 that we've known for several years. It's a, it's a, it's basically so, an upgraded version of the what we used to call just the e-tron. Yeah. So there was the each. Well, there was the e-tron <laughs> A3, which was a a PHEV. Then there was the e-tron. Then there was the e-tron GT, and then there, well, there was, was also the, the e-tron Sportback. The e-tron Sportback, yeah, sorry. And then the e-tron um, Q4. So now the original e-tron, not the e-tron A3, but the original e-tron is now the Q8 e-tron. And I'm Who's sure there'll be first? a Q e-tron Sportback <laughs> at some point. I think all all of these manufacturers are going to have to have a sit down and have a, a a real rethink about their whole naming strategy for their EVs. Yeah, cuz you can't like you don't you don't call it like you can't keep putting the fact that it's an EV in the name somehow. Like <laughs> it's got to stop. When everything's point. an EV, when does everything's it, does an it matter EV, any? right? Does it matter when anymore? It, yeah, that? when everything's an EV in like 10 to 15 years, everything will just revert like the the car the the car I'm driving now would just be called the Q8. Because yeah. there won't be a, a gas version of the Q8. It'll just be the Q8. Well, like the EQS will just be the S class, and et cetera. Ex- the Ford Lightning will just the F150 Lightning will just be the F150. I, I wonder if Cadillac <laughs> will will change their naming strategy again because you know they've gone from alphanumerics, you know, most recently, you know, CT for the sedans and XT for the the utilities. Except for the Escalade, which was which has always been just the Escalade, Escalade. you know, to to giving them names like Lyric and Celestic, and all of the names end in IQ, but because the Escalade has so much brand equity, Escalade, they're, they're they're not re, <laughs> they're not exactly renaming it, but they're calling it the Escalade IQ. IQ, yeah, and and we're actually going to see that just, in, in a little over a month. But then that'll just be the Escalade. But everything, but Cadillac just like kills off cars. Like <laughs> it's just like That's no, true. Cadillac kills off cars like a communist dictator. It just it's like, <laughs> Google. Oh my God, it kills. It's like that. It, it, those didn't even exist. You're like, what are you talking about? Racing photos but, of them. Well, we Mer- Mercedes that. is probably the most confusing because they've got the EQs. Oh, you know, they got EQS, and EQE, and EQB. But then they have EQS SUV, EQE SUV. It's it's stupid. Uh, yeah, the EQS SUV. It would, it would just be the GLS. 
at some point it'll just be the S class and the GLS. Yeah. But for now, we're the EQS SUV. It's All right. really confusing. Well, it's we can talk confusing. about the Q80 Tron next time. Um, you're, are you ready yet, Nicole? I am ready. Sorry, okay. I was Go I was it. running a late start this morning. So um, I am, in fact, driving Mercedes. I am driving the GLE SUV. Um, so it's their SUV. It's a two-row SUV, but you can get a third row. Have you ever, you guys ever seen it with a third row inside of that? I have seen it with a third row. Is it as squished um, as it seems yes. like in my mind? Yes. Um, yeah, I have the two row, and I it's thought it's like the it's, Outlander plug-in hybrid I had a couple of weeks back. Okay, because I because I thought I, like you know I was like oh two rows I'm like wait there's an optional third row and I just I literally sat there looking at it and I'm like mm, how a, do you fit a third row in e, this? It's an E class. It's not. It's like a midsize SUV. It's not huge. Yeah. So, but you if you want to squish a third row in there and my. First impression was like, heck no, and I think you're kind of seconding with that, Sam. It's going to be a really squishy third row, but I had it with just two. Um, and the second row in that, in the two-row version, is actually pretty roomy. There's actually a good amount of leg room. Like, I, I opened the doors, and I truly thought, wow, like, this would fit three adults across who aren't going to be completely squished. And if you actually are tall, you're going to have room for your knees without hitting the front seats. You're going to have room for your head. So if you're really looking for a two-row that has a truly three-person second row, then this is the way to go. If you're looking for a three-row, I don't know. My guess is it's not going to be the best idea, um, although you could do it. I'm like, mm, I don't know. So for 24, it gets some little bits and changes. The big change, and I'm not driving this one, is there's a new plug-in hybrid powertrain that you can get on the GLE. That is not the one I had. I had the 450, which is the – and now I just lost it because I told you I was ready, Sam. Um, it's a three-liter, six-cylinder turbo, 375 horsepower, 369 pound-feet of torque. Uh, so it's it's you know it goes zoom it's it's fast it's responsive um, and it is has that Mercedes Benz quiet you know Mercedes most of them unless you're getting like I guess into the AMGs when they're sort of supposed to be a little bit loud and a little bit obnoxious but not too loud and obnoxious because still Mercedes uh, it you know it accelerates strongly but it's quiet and it's well mannered and it's not aggressive and it's it's very luxury car in its ride um, handles beautifully this is not a small SUV you know it's a, it's a proper SUV it's not like some crossover masquerading as a as a large vehicle um, it is a pretty good size but you never it never feels unwieldy and it handles man does this suspension system soak up the bumps like my my test currently is the Sumner Tunnel in Boston which is its own private little war zone driving through there <laughs> with the construction and as a kid, it is. T- Terrible because they're doing all this construction in the tunnel, which has destroyed the already Boston road surface from all the construction and the stuff and everything they're doing. So it is miserable. Like you go through there in a Jeep right now and you're like, holy cow, you're like bouncing all over the place. This you didn't even feel a bump. So it was really, really, really well mannered. It's nice to drive. Um, I like it overall. I love I've decided I like the Hey Mercedes voice assistant system. I like the Hey Mercedes. I feel like in this one it worked pretty well. It's not working for you? It's decided to work for me, or at least in this exact configuration on this car, it could hear my exact voice properly and perfectly. Almost every single time I asked it something, it gave me exactly what I was doing. I'm like, hey, Mercedes, change the channel to blah, blah, blah. And they're, it's like, they're really good at, at updating that thing and making yeah. sure it's like better every time you get in a new. A exactly, because I've used it in the past and thought it was okay, like or so-so, or it was like average. Like half the time it gets you, half the time it has no idea what you're saying. I hardly had to repeat myself at all, which is kind of nice because using the whole 
voice activated assistance in there is only helpful in not making you distracted when you don't find yourself on the tr- third try screaming, you know, change the radio to channel dad, you know, like Damn when you're Mercedes. getting, yes, when you're getting like, listen Damn it, Mercedes, <laughs> listen, hey, Mercedes, God damn it, listen. Um, my so, child won't listen to me, at least you will. <laughs> I know, at least technology should listen. So this one did. This is a well-behaved child. Uh, so I had no, no problems with that, and I actually really liked that. And, of course, it delivers the typical – um, the, this like luxury interior that you want from Mercedes. I, it was funny. So when I shared it, the interior of the one I have has this sort of, it's not a saddle brown. It's a little bit darker brown. Like not, it's nice leather and it's kind of a little bit of a pebbly-ish kind of texture to it. It's actually really, really pretty. And it covers every everything that could have leather has leather. <laughs> like, it covers everything. There's a lot of leather in this. And then it's like it's leather everywhere. Draped a, draped a herd of cows. Just all draped just like all cow, <laughs> just all the cows inside. So this is not, this is not the Mercedes for vegans. This is not the, yeah, if you're vegan, go to another car. Um, and it also has though, it has wood, the real wood trim, not like the heavily lacquered stuff that looks kind of tacky, but just uh, natural. Open yeah. So it's this beautiful and it's the same. It's like, again, it's like sort of a darkish brown. It looks beautiful with the leather. It, it creates this very sort of upscale interior. But then someone said to me, it reminded them of a 1970s living room. And as soon as he said that, I was like, son of a, and it does. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's like looking at wood paneling and like, it's just, it's, it, yeah. And I was like, well, you, you ruined this interior for me, but it is very pretty. And you know, you get things like these sound like little silly nothings but in a car that is a luxury car and a lot of that is the the passenger and driver experience aside from the actual driving it's the experience of riding in one you get little touches like the speakers those burmester am i saying that right burmester the speaker the grill covers burmeister meister burmeister meister however he said it like like german miser like Like heat miser Except sound, not heat. <laughs> so they have like they have these beautiful grills that are like very perfect. Like, they're just they're just pretty, and they're these aluminum grills that add a lot of like you, just, you open the door like wow, look at the pretty grill with the pretty leather with the pretty wood trim, and then there's this ambient lighting and it's sort of all over the place. And as the as night falls, if you're driving as your car slowly glows to life on the inside, it's sort of neat to see all this little bit lighting. And of course you can. Pick one of a gazillion shades, whatever color you want it to be, pretty much on the rainbow. You can make it that color. Uh, so I do like that. Um, and you do have it has a little bit more ground clearance and you can, you know, it has some has like an off road package that you can get that adds some like protection underneath and an air suspension. And I like, think like a little over like so 1.2 inches, I think, of ground clearance. And then you can see different stuff on the infotainment screen if you have that package, like the roll angles and the compass. And so you can get a little bit more of an idea what your vehicle is doing. Which I, you know, again, we've said this a million times with luxury cars. How often are people actually doing any of the off-road stuff? And they're like, this one starts at about seventy grand. How often are you really, truly taking this off-road at seventy thousand mm, dollars? I don't know. I feel like the roughest they, road. They, I asked them about this. Uh, what do they say about their off-road? Like we, they, we, they are capable. They're th- it's things people mm-hmm. want, and so we are delivering. They're, but they're, no idea like, how many people are like, I think I want to go off road in my Mercedes. Well, I mean, they know they know that most they're, of them aren't going to, yeah. but they want to say, you know what? If that's what the market wants, the people, yes. the market wants the the, the possibility of going off road. I think so the Mercedes entire plan is more than happy 
to, to do it. I think the entire planet just wants to be really ready in case we have a zombie apocalypse. I mean, chances are pretty slim, but I feel like everyone. I don't to be know. Ready. I mean, after the last three years, <laughs> you really deserve that. Higher yeah, chances than there were. <laughs> the, yeah, the end of civilization just feels like every day. Like you a wake up, you're like, what's going on? You're like, oh man, I'm glad I got that Mercedes EQ. <laughs> like, Mercedes. We're gonna be able to bug out like nobody's business. GLE. Yeah. So I can so, stay nice and comfy yeah. until the gas runs so, out. And it has, and it has actually, yeah, nice and comfy. And you can pack all your necessary like survival supplies in the back because it does have a pretty roomy amount of space back there. Uh, so you have good room for cargo. And I love this. So there's a button. I'm all about little things, right? So there's a button in the cargo where you push the button. The button glows red. And if you watch really carefully, it lowers the suspension. Just a little bit. Just, Just a little a bit. bit. Just a bit. And then when you push the button again, it does not make that sound. It doesn't sound that cool. It goes back up. But the thing is, if you have something heavy to load, if you're loading a lot of stuff and you don't have to keep lifting up, or if you're loading something heavy, just a small difference in that suspension height makes a big difference. So that's in the cargo area? In the cargo area. Like when you're in the cargo area and you look on the right-hand side, like above, kind of above the right rear wheel, there's just this little button. Push the button. Cargo, it car goes up and down and it's, it's so it's, and it's not like suddenly drops, you know, it's a small air suspension always thinks it's going to be this big change. It's a little change, but it's enough that you think, okay, if I was loading up a lot of stuff, like I'm just filling this full of stuff, or if I'm trying to haul out stuff that happens to be heavy, that's going to make a huge difference. I thought that again was one of those little things that you're not going to find in every car and no, it's not the be all and all reason for buying this, but it does add to the appeal. Like, Oh, I have, look at that. It can make it loading cargo easier. So I'm not, you know, strung out in bed because I pulled my back trying to load stuff in for my zombie apocalypse run. So it's, I, I like that. So overall, I think that it's, I like this car. I mean, it starts at 70 grand. So it's, you know, again, it's in luxury car territory. Um, but I feel like 70 grand for this vehicle is not unreasonable. Like I, I feel like it's a, a good price for this. I mean, you can go crazy if you want to start looking like they have this as an AMG. There's an AMG, um, 53 or 63 so you get varying amounts of horsepower like that are just bazonkers with those and if you want kind of that kind of additional level of performance look and feel in your luxury you can do that but i feel like just staying in the standard old gle range of vehicles and if you want the plug-in hybrid that's there for you if you want the fuel efficiency so overall i think it's good i don't have a monroney unfortunately and i and, and the build isn't entirely live so i couldn't exactly build it on mercedes but it starts at 69,500 according to the Mercedes website. So starting at 70, probably I've got mine's probably like 75 or 80. They've probably put stuff on there that isn't standard that I can't tell what. Uh, so it's definitely a luxury vehicle, but it feels every bit the luxury vehicle. And I think it's it's a nice option. I don't think I get it in three rows though. I think three rows would not yeah. be my thing. I don't feel like it's, I feel like it's- At the end of the world, you, you just pick like three other people. Right. You only get to travel. There's only five of you that get to travel. If you get the extra people, they're going to yeah. go through your supplies and then you're going to have to yeah. let you're someone actually, go. There's more people and less supplies if you do that. Right. So, exactly. so as long longer. as we're talking about the end of the world, I'd mm-hmm. like to address an issue that I've noticed mm. in a few post-apocalyptic shows I've seen <laughs> recently. Um, okay. Mo- mo- most recent. Let's see. Um, let's see. There, there was. Um, oh, now I'm blanking on, on the show on what the show was. Um, it wasn't Station Eleven. Um, is one of us? Oh, The Last of Us. The Last of Us. Close. Yes. One of us. Okay. The Last of Us. And and there, and there was, you know, there's been a couple of others where this popped up as well. Yeah. You know, we're talking like you know, ten, twenty years 
post some apocalypse, you know, when civilization, civilization <laughs> collapsed, you know, whether it was because of some mushrooms or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And these people are trying to make their way through this environment, you know, trying to get from one place to another and they're finding abandoned vehicles and they're siphoning what remained of the fuel in other vehicles that were abandoned. Okay. And if you have ever tried to that use gasoline that's been sitting in a, in a, in a can in your garage <laughs> for more than six months, you know, yeah. for your lawnmower or your weed yeah. whacker or uh-huh. any other, you know, gas powered device. Yes. You will know that, you know, in this post-apocalyptic environment where yes. we are no longer, you know, extracting petroleum from the <laughs> ground and refining it into gasoline, mm-hmm. that anything that you find in a tank that's been sitting there for 10 years or more is worthless yes you might as well put water in there it's completely worse like you have to put stabilizer and like you know if you have a motorcycle and you store it over in winter you have to put stabilizer in the gas tank i love that this is the thing that you called out this is such an auto journalist thing and it's brilliant so so my whole thing is that the ev is the more is the more uh that makes way more sense for the apocalypse because if you can you you can gather up some some solar panels. You gather up some some batteries, and you can charge an EV because that's true. You could make it work. Electricity and the batteries yes. will last longer. Gas, like you have to, you have. That's why at least, at least in the Mad Max franchise, they have refineries still. You have to yeah. go to like that's you true. Have to go somewhere and have they have to re, they ref, I mean, there's gangs of gas. crazy people, you know, guarding these refineries. But, but they're still refining. They're still exist. refining. Yeah, the, the whole idea were like, well, we just need. I think the Last of Us, the big issue was uh, the battery itself. The batteries were corroding. Yeah, uh, like twelve volt batteries. Which okay, that's that's an issue. Uh, but also the, the the but really the main issue is like none of that gas is any good. All yeah. that gas is, is completely so what, worthless. So what you're bringing up, Sam, is that really the angle that the entire planet, the government, and all the EV companies should have taken was forget about saving everything. Forget about saving the planet. If you want to escape when the from the zombies. Ha- you need to have an EV. That may yes. so, That EV. would accelerate EV adoption if we could just get everybody to understand that. An EV I've and some solar to... panels. Uh-huh. That's all the, you need, and you can survive. Yeah. The, the, the guy who uh, <laughs> was it, the gentleman who started FedEx – he and a bunch of like generals, they started a whole thing, a whole like, uh, I don't know, not society, federation, something about moving past gasoline for the for the security of the United States. Really? And, and a lot of it has to do with going EV because you, you're not beholden to another country. But again, the end of the world, you're going to want to A, think- get like a book on electronics, but B, you should be setting up, uh, you should be setting up solar panels on your house because it's free and you should have battery packs. And then you can charge your EV. See, I don't need to study electronics. I just, all that stuff and- I just married an engineer. I'm like, should the zombie apocalypse happen? He's going to need to step up and figure things out for me. Yeah, you get the four by E. I mean, you still have enough to get right, around. Right, I do. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. We got the Kona. What do you got? What do you got, Sam? Uh, well, right now we don't have anything electric that we. Well, he has oh, his Sam, dog. You're done though. Uh, yeah, dog, might... You give him a little dog sled. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see Daisy pulling a dog sled. I don't think Daisy's pulling anybody on a dog sled. You know, sled. Daisy, Daisy's pretty tough. She Is can, she? She can pull pretty hard when when she wants to. You know, if we're out on a walk and a storm starts rolling in, and you know, she'll hear, you know, a little bit of thunder, you know, ten miles away, and as and soon she as pulls. she hears that, it's like. Boom! She knows exactly the fa- the fastest way to get home, and she is pulling on that leash to get home and climb so, into our shower. So when she perceives that her life is in imminent danger, the doggo can move. 
or or when she is being obstinate and decides that she doesn't want to walk. <laughs> you know, I can pull on that leash as much as I want. You know, she only weighs you know a little over thirty she's pounds. Tiny. Yeah, she's a little she's, dog. You know, she has got some she's kind got of very low center control. of gravity. Yeah, <laughs> she's got, she got a very low center of gravity, so she's like, <laughs> she's like an anchor. All right, Little anchor. <laughs> By the EQE SUV instead of the GLE SUV. There you go. There's you'll, survive your the, you'll survive the zombie right. apocalypse. There best you go. EV for the end of the world. So it has it probably the best Ionic, EV for the end of the let's world. Let's say the Ionic Five. You wouldn't say the Lightning because it can get through stuff because it's no, a because truck? the Lightning the Lightning's very it's inefficient versus the Ionics. But like, if you have to drive over the zombies. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you've got to if you've got to drive through some barriers or something mm-hmm. like that, you probably want something with a little more with mass to get that momentum that's going to carry you through. The you Hummer, no. it's a tank. Well, that's a, <laughs> see, the Hummer, the Hummer goes a little too far in that direction. I think you need okay. something with you know a little bit better. So is you know, the F one fifty. Yeah, the F one fifty would be good. Is the happy the, medium? The, the, the Silverado EV, I think, would also be a good choice. Okay. Um, and we'll be talking a little more about that later on. I don't know. It just takes so long to charge those. That's it true. Does. It's a trade-off. Do you think you yeah. have the time to charge it? You're just gonna have to fully charge it during the downtime between horde attacks. Just put but a put a cow you're... catcher on top of a Ionic Five because it has a lot of headroom. <laughs> it's got a lot of storage space. Do you know they you? did back in the day when the Walking Dead first came out? I think it was Hyundai, and somewhere I have a picture of me in it. They did a Hyundai that they made into a Walking Dead. I remember that. Tie-in. And when you they let you inside of it at New York Comic Con, and you could push the buttons, and it made sounds like all like it was doing all the things, firing guns or whatever, and it was all tricked out. But I'm like, and they have the fire, the sounds. I'm like, do you really want anyone pushing these in the middle of the conference? He's like, probably not. We probably shouldn't. Have Wasn't that on this. an Elantra, I think? Or I something? think it was an Elantra. I have a picture of myself standing yeah. up through the sunroof of the thing, yes. and I somewhere I think it was an Elantra. Was it? Yeah, they, it they was had they had it totally at Nias as well. Yeah, it was they super took it fun. around to uh, on the on the auto show circuit that year. Yeah, yeah. All right, just, you, got, you, you go. guys keep talking. I'm gonna keep thinking about this. Maybe it, <laughs> maybe the EQS the EQE SUV. I want to know what a listener thinks of guys. Send every send Do us you, all uh, your top picks and why. What is your, for a zombie your top, apocalypse vehicle? Your top post apocalypse vehicle. Yeah, top post apocalypse vehicle. Yeah, EQE we'll SUV because it's off road capable. It's higher off the ground. It's uh, and it's still um, pretty efficient. Okay, well, good. There we that go. Works. Okay. All right. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new five ninety nine lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more, made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. So, Sorry about that. So um, <laughs> for for a vehicle that is perhaps not quite as suitable for the <laughs> uh, the post-apocalypse, um, I had the 2023 Lexus RX 500H. 
um, this week. And yeah, we first first drove the new RX back in September, I think, in in Santa Barbara. And when when I talked when I talked about it after that first drive experience, one of the big things that I, one of the actually really one of the one of the only things I really complained about with that car is that the new Lexus infotainment system, which I've used on a number of different Lexi and and essentially the same the same system is on on newer Toyotas as well, and it's always worked surprisingly well for for especially given that you know it came from Toyota who have a not so stellar history of these things. Uh, the new system actually works very well, but on the RX for some reason, um, my driving partner and I, um, Tanya Gadzik, who's been on the show a couple times with us, yeah, Tanya. Um, you know, we we drove three different RXs that day, and every single one of them absolutely refused to recognize my voice when I said, "Hey, Lexus." Discriminating Tanya, against if, you. If, if if Tanya said it, was fine. It was perfect. If I said anything, I'd say nope, sorry. You're out of luck. No, you know, pro- no probably no joy. you know maybe it's because I drove to the event in a lucid air. It was maybe it was jealous. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. could have been jealous. It could have yeah. been like you and your lucid. Forget it, not listening. But you keep you your know, American. I've, I've tried you the same keep system. Your American performance uh, luxury to yourself. I've, I've I've tried I've tried the you know the same system in the NX and you know some other vehicles and it worked fine. Well, when I got the RX 500H delivered to my driveway, the first thing I did was I went out, turned it on, and said, hey, Lexus. And you know what happened? It listened. It listened. It <gasps> popped up and said, yes, how can I help you? You're like, well, oh, actually, my I gosh. I don't think it actually said, how can I help you? But, <laughs> but you know, it popped up on the screen you know, and was waiting for me to say something. So it it recognized my voice, and it responded um, you know, to the commands I gave it and, you know, to the requests I made of it, it mostly did the right stuff. Um, and it generally worked quite well. So my, my beef with the Lexus RX infotain voice recognition system is over. Ah, oh, the feud has ended. I'm, I'm, I'm content with it now. Yay. Um, <laughs> so the, the rest of the vehicle, um, you know, if you are familiar with the previous generation RX, this current generation RX will look very, very familiar to you. You know, it's been refined. There's changes. You know, they've, they've made some changes, particularly to the way they've implemented the spindle grill. Um, but it will look very, very familiar. Um, it's now available with currently with three powertrain options, soon to add a fourth. Uh, so you can get it with a 2.4 liter turbo four cylinder. So there's no more V6 engines in the RX like there were in the past. Uh, 2.4 liter turbo four cylinder gas engine, uh, is available. You can also get it as a RX 350H hybrid, which has the traditional Toyota power split hybrid system with the eCVT, the continuously variable transmission. Um, and we've talked about that. We talked about it at some length, you know, when we discussed the, uh, the Grand Highlander. It's the same powertrain that's in there. So it's a 2.5 liter naturally aspirated. And so when you're accelerating hard, you know, it revs itself up to 4,000 RPM and sits there. It spins at four grand until the car catches up with the speed. (laughs) And the same is true for the RX 350H. And then there is the the RX 500H, which has the powertrain that when you get this powertrain in Toyota vehicles like the Crown or the Grand Highlander, they brand it as as, uh, uh, it's not iForce Max. 
the hybrid, max? hybrid just hybrid max yes hybrid, hybrid max. max so this is the 2.4 liter turbo again but now with a hybrid system with a six-speed automatic transmission so no more cvt in there this is a much more pleasant experience <laughs> to drive i like the description this is more pleasant yeah um and, you know especially you know given you know this, this car you know this vehicle's got some some heft to it i mean it's not exceptionally heavy for you know give you know compared to its competition but you know it's it's not a it's not a lightweight mm-hmm. um and so the hybrid system in the 350h you know this is going to be doing some work um in the 500h it's way nicer to drive uh it's clearly not as efficient it's rated at 27 miles per gallon combined i got about 26 um but um it uh it's it's a lot more fun it's got a lot more power uh the let's see in the uh rx 350h you get a combined 246 horsepower um and 233 foot pounds of torque from the from the hybrid system um in the 500h that jumps to 366 horsepower so an extra 120 horsepower and more importantly 406 foot pounds of torque so you get almost double the torque that you get with the 350h and that makes a huge difference and because you've got a traditional step ratio transmission you don't have it revving up to 4000 rpm and winding away there as the as the vehicle accelerates that motorboating effect uh, so it's it's a lot more fun to drive. Um, so um, my recommendation, if you are in the market for an RX, is if you can swing it, go with the 500h. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or either that or the base gas RX 350. Um, I would I would generally stay away from the 350h, um, especially you know in a what's you know meant to be a premium you know luxury vehicle. Uh, this is a this is a much more suitable combination for this type of vehicle. Uh, so th- with you know with that performance, you know it'll do zero to sixty in about five point nine seconds according to Lexus, uh, which is about uh, a second and a half faster than the three fifty, um, and uh, also uh, quicker than the uh, um, than the the gas engine as well. With the um, with that turbo hybrid system, uh, it's all wheel drive only. Um, so it's got an e-axle. There's an electric motor on the on the rear axle, um, and it's also biased more. It's you know it's not rear biased in terms of its power output, but it's got more of a rear bias, so it feels more balanced. So if you're doing some spirited driving on some curvy roads, you know there will be less understeer. You know it just it feels more fun to drive overall. The you know the RX as a whole. Um, you know, even though the exterior styling doesn't look dramatically different from the previous generation, the interior is much nicer. Um, it no longer has that bad Lexus touchpad. Uh, you now have, that. you know, it, you know, it has a touchscreen, uh, you know, as we know, I'm not a fan of touchscreens, but I'll take that over that touchpad any day. Yeah, like the touchpad is the absolute worst of all the possible controls. The, le- the Lexus, the the Lexus touchpad the Lexus touchpad is really yeah. bad. At yeah, least the, the Acura one was was it was one to one wherever you put your finger on that little pad. But if you had if was. you had touchscreen, touchpad, or dial, which would your what's your worst generally speaking? Oh, uh, 
I feel like the dial keeps your eye, takes your eye off the road a lot longer. So you think dial is harder to use than touchpad generally? Just because you're like turning it and you're like, is it there? 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 Oh my God, there's a car. Stop. I don't know. I mean, I can usually turn The implementation of the touchpad is also, like the Lexus implementation is bad. The accurate implementation was good. It's just that the accurate implementation just, it's really good for someone who uses a Wacom tablet like I do. Yeah. It's one to one, like as rep- it's a representation of what the screen is where your finger is. So right. if you if the thing's in the top right hand corner, you just put your finger there as opposed to sort of dragging it, wondering where you finger. are and trying to find yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you know the the touch screen is good. It's a nice 14 inch display. Look, you know, looks really good. Looks good. You know, it's still very clearly visible even with polarized sunglasses on. Something that. A lot of past Toyota and Lexus vehicles have had challenges with. Um, one of the things I really like, one of the features I really like on the RX um, is they've got um, cross-traffic alert on the front as well as the back. So, I mean, you know, we've had cars that have blind spot monitoring also ha- uh, at the back also have cross-traffic alert when you're backing out of a parking space. The, the Lexus also has this on the front, um, and with the, the heads-up display – you know, if it detects a car coming from either from your left or your right when you're at an intersection, it'll flash arrows in the HUD, you know, and give you an alert saying, hey, there's somebody approaching. You know, if you're if you're if you're about to turn, you know, and say you're making a right hand turn, you're sitting there at the intersection getting ready to make a right hand turn and somebody's coming through the intersection from your left. You know, you may you may not be glancing over there, you know. The, the HUD will show, hey, there's somebody approaching from your left or vice versa as well. It works, works the other way as well. That worked, that worked really nicely. Um, the, um, lane tracing assist, um, you know, works really well. It's basically, it's a, it's a hands on, essentially a hands on level two system now, um, that does a really good job of staying in the center of the lane, tracking the lane when you're driving on the highway. It has uh, an infrared driver monitor system in there, like most of the hands-off systems. Um, and you, the uh, there's also capacitive sensors in the uh, steering wheel rim, like hands-off systems uh, like Super Cruise. So even though it currently does not technically allow hands-off capability, basically you, know, you can just have a couple of fingertips touching the steering wheel when you're driving on the highway and it will be totally happy. It'll drive down the road. It won't do things like auto lane change at this point. Who knows? Maybe at some point in the future, they may have an update, a software update that can enable, you know, allow it to go hands-free. It doesn't have that today. Um, One of the other nice things that they have that's also on some of the newer Toyotas and and other Lexi uh, is, um, uh, I forget the exact terminology they, they're using for it, but the, the camera is looking at the, looking ahead at the road, looking for curves in the road. And if you're approaching a curve in the road, um, you know, if it thinks your speed is maybe a little bit high for that curve, it will automatically slow you down a little bit. You know, if you're using, if you're using adaptive cruise control. Um, so for example, you know, he, around here, you know, driving up US 23, getting onto M14. Getting on, um, or, or even just continuing up 23 uh, on the north side of Ann Arbor, there's a couple of curves that are relatively sharp. Uh, and if I have the ACC on, uh, you know, set for uh, speed of prevailing traffic, um, you know, as it 
as it comes through those curves, that automatically backs off by a few miles an hour, gets through the curve, and then resumes. And it shows you a little icon, a little curvy road icon in the in the <laughs> HUD to let you know that, yeah, this is what I'm doing right now. So it tells uh, so, you, so you're not wondering, like, what the heck's going on. It's yeah, like, why, why are you slowing down? down? Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, because, you know, trying to help you out here, be able to keep <laughs> like, keep you on the road. keep you on the road. Please yeah. don't crash me. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that a lot, a lot of really good, um, you know, assistance, you know, convenience and safety features on there that work fairly unobtrusively. You know, I mean, it doesn't, like, slam on the brakes when it's doing that. It's nice gradual decel and then resumption, and, and it's just, you know, it's it's quite transparent. And it fits in with the, you know, the the kind of um, uh, guardian strategy that Toyota, the, the folks at Toyota Research Institute have been talking about for a few years. You know, where the systems are acting, you know, as a co-pilot to to help you out. You know, they're not they're not it's not trying to completely take over the vehicle. But you know, if you're doing something that you know maybe you know less than ideal for the conditions, you know, it'll kind of step in and just. Kind of, you know, try, trying to keep things on the straight and narrow, so to speak. That's fair. Um, so, um, you know, this time around, uh, unlike the last generation of RX, there will not be an RXL, um, you know, which like the, the GLE you had, you know, yes, was a slightly – effort is so slightly longer version of the previous gen RX that added a third seat in there. I that, feel like it was such like a – like, okay, we give it a third row. More people will like this because it suits two people. No, it doesn't. People like, – if you want a third row, that's not the car you want. <laughs> yeah, because it was, it was a useless third row. It just didn't do anything. Well, that yeah. was the, they, they introduced that the same year. They, they removed the third row from a larger Lexus vehicle. It was really weird. It's a like, weird strategy. Like I feel like GX? Could... Yeah, they 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 took out the third row, but they but they uh, from the GX, but they added a third row to the RX, and it made what? It was so. Oh. <laughs> it's a strange well, the, strategy. Well, well, this time I... around, we're we're getting the TX instead, uh, which we saw a Texas? few weeks ago. Yeah, we'll get the, the Lexus Texas. Yeah, Lexus Texas. Yeah. No one thought uh, about that, huh? No one thought about like, oh wait, hold on. Hold Nobody on, thought on. about that. <laughs> the um, the RX 500H that I had uh, was finished in copper crest, which is Ooh. an awesome color. Uh, you know, kind of. I gotta look colored. it up now. What does copper crest Lexus look like? I gotta I gotta Google. It's it's, it's a very crest. very attractive color. Oh, I think um, I know which one this is. Yeah, that is a cool color. Yeah. Actually, do you remember? That's a really nifty color. I like cars in funky colors like that. So the RX 500H starts at $61,600. Uh, as equipped, um, mine came to $73,690, uh, which is fairly pricey, but you know, it's, it had the Mark Levinson sound system with 14 speakers and, uh, which is like a $2,200 option. Um, and, uh, and a, and a bunch of Mark Levinson. It sounds like a guy down the street. <laughs> Your audiophile neighbor, he's like, I got these new tube amps and this yeah, really I got this, but yeah, I got this really cool audio system, Bob, down the street. <laughs> got quadrifoot sound, right? Like, nothing's made for that, Bob. <laughs> but if it was, um, you want to take a guess at the uh, destination charge? Eleven ninety-five. Eleven ninety. So close, and yet so far, eleven fifty. You were both over. Oh gosh, dang it! Oh, so everybody loses. Today. You gotta go one one dollar over or just one dollar. Yeah. Um, but I was trying. I don't like just like one dollar. I want to come close. Do you want to? Do you want to win the game or do you want to be the you know the closest? 
both. Win the game. Sam, both. I have no compromises in my life. I want both. <laughs> All right. So that is the 2023 Lexus RX 500H F-Sport, which now recognizes me when I speak to it and, and, and mostly does the right things. Woo-hoo. So Thank you for uh, being a friend, Lexus. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's talk about some of the stuff that happened this week. Um, let's start with the Ram Rampage. 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 So we've Arr. we've got we've got two compact trucks in the market in the U.S. now with the Maverick and the uh, Hyundai Santa Cruz, and uh, Stellantis has just launched one in Brazil. Is it Brazil or Argentina? Built, it says Brazil. built in Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Okay. Brazil. So it's launching in launching in Brazil. Um, currently, no nothing announced for North America. But when I spoke to Mike Koval at the uh, the New York Auto Show, he kind of hinted that yeah, there'd be something you know smaller trucks Ooh. coming to the Ram lineup uh, in North America in the not so distant future. Okay. Um, what do you think of the Rampage? I like, like how, the idea of it. I like well, the idea of the small truck coming to the Ram because they don't have anything. Is it bigger, smaller, or the? Well, I guess it's not smaller. Is it bigger or the same size as a Maverick? Because I hard- think it's roughly in the same ballpark. Okay, because it's hard to tell from the photos. Like how we're, built on the same how big is this, as the Tonale and Hornet. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 based on the same platform as the Tonale and Hornet. Yeah. Um, I mean, that doesn't yeah you know, doesn't mean yeah. it's got the same wheelbase. Right. Yeah. But um, it it could be this you know in the same. I think it looks like it's in the same ballpark, and yeah. I, I think it is. Um, yeah. And. There's in Brazil. There's two engine options. There's a a two liter turbo diesel, um, and also uh, the two liter Hurricane Four. You know the the global four cylinder that Stellantis has been rolling out for several years now in a lot of their vehicles. You know you find it in the Wrangler. Uh, it's the same engine that's in the Tenali and Hornet, um, and a and a whole bunch of other vehicles. Um, so let's see if. Uh, Brazil. I mean, I I don't know if the how I mean how these prices would would translate to the U.S. market because the, the turbo diesel starts at fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, but that's I a one to one to price from from Brazil, which is a completely different market. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't you know worry about the pricing in this article because it's it's clearly not going to be relevant. Right, it's to, not going to be our yeah, pricing. to what we get. Yeah. I I would get you know presumably if they if they sell this here if they offer this thing here, um, it will be priced, you know, comparable to what uh, what you get with the uh, the Cruz. Maverick and the Santa Cruz. So, you know, if you're if you're looking at you know the two liter turbo versions of either of those, you're looking in the twenty seven twenty eight thousand dollar starting price range. Um, you know, if they offer you know a lower power entry version, you know, it could be could be closer to you know lower twenties. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean the 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 Diesel clearly, you know, is never going to be offered here. No, yeah, that's not going to. Yeah. yeah. But I, yeah. I like the design of this truck. Yeah. I think it looks good, and I think it would be really good for them to have a small truck. I mean, people, their small trucks are popular. You know, they like sort of disappeared, and everyone's like, "Wait, bring those back!" And they sort of bring them back and introduce new ones. It's like, wait, the public likes these. Like, not everybody needs a an F two fifty. Thank you very much. Some people want something a little bit smaller. So I think it'd be a great idea for them to introduce it. And I think it looks good. I mean, it still looks like. It has the Ram look to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a baby like, Ram 1500. Like little, it literally looks just yeah. went hooch, and you're like, honey, I shrunk the truck. Like, hooch. it's just a little bit little bit smaller. Yeah, I think it looks hooch. great. 
Ouch. Yeah. Um, and who knows? I mean, maybe you know if they offer it here, you know, since it's based on the the platform of the Hornet and Tenali, could be a plug-in hybrid. Have. Can you imagine this thing? You know, with a, a thirty-mile you know electric range uh, from a plug-in hybrid. Just drive it around. That'd Maybe be pretty cool. People would be excited yeah. about that. That'd be a use big deal. Use it at the deal. end of the world, as long as you don't need to go 30 miles. Big deal. <laughs> you, little, need... you drive around with their little tiny refinery in the back seat <laughs> or in the bed. <laughs> little refinery. Little teeny tiny one. You got to make some gas. Going. <laughs> if it has a power supply, you can have a little power supply that makes your gas. <laughs> you could. You could have it all in one system, all built into the one truck. See? You got this figured yeah. out. You don't have to worry about Master Blaster at all. <laughs> I, I I think Stellantis needs to bring this to the U.S. market sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. I think they Get should. They the probably butt. should. Yeah, because it's do it's, it. Do they need it. to do it. Do it. All right. Um, next up, uh, you were just in in Korea with. I Kia. was in Korea. You were. Did, did they Korea. did they spill any beans about uh, an electric Kia Stinger replacement? Uh, I can say they did not do that. Okay. Bummer. Well. Hmm. Oh, yes. To think <laughs> about it. So maybe they kind of did, but maybe they kind. Let's read things into exactly what Robbie's saying. No, oh, they didn't. No. <laughs> I think it was it was just a conversation I was having. I, it had nothing to do with the stinger. It was just about performance. There wah, you go. Wah. Well, but you it know, wasn't it, specifically about the stinger, but it was about how you know they brought the GT to the market. It you know it would certainly you know it would be great you know for them to bring back you know something like the stinger as an ev you know they've i think there's uh i believe that genesis is going to do um an electric version of the g70 you know so they could use that platform but more likely this would probably be on their you know on their next generation platform that hyundai has just been talking about um you know and they've they've certainly got you know the electric powertrains uh that could be you know a suitable fit for a car like this and and the jalopnik article talks about uh 604 horsepower which is actually more than what you get in the ev6 gt today mm-hmm. that would be cool i mean it would yeah. be, i think i it would be nice to have a replacement they'll do something they'll do something no eventually. one bought the stinger that's the problem because no one thinks about kia's being a fun little performance a, car. i was last turn was to drive the stinger i think and it was outstanding and then it went away and now i'm sad I just remember being so excited when that came out because it was such a fun car and it felt like it, like, oh, there were going to be such amazing things. I guess Kia has great car, but they didn't go that direction, you know, but it's, it was, it was too much performance focus for a brand that people don't think of as performance, maybe. Maybe with the GT, well, I mean, you know, with the EV6 GT out and people talking about it. That where I think that did what they, they, in terms of reputation, what they thought the Stinger would do. Yeah, so maybe the Stinger, a, a post EV6 GT Stinger would be a pretty good. Right, if they did it now, maybe the Stinger would have been received entirely differently. Yeah, Stinger. Stinger, do a Stinger. And you know, Hyundai is doing uh, an N version of the Ionic 6 and also the Ionic 5. Uh, in fact, I think the the Ionic 5N is going to be officially unveiled at the Goodwood Festival of Speed in a few weeks, um, and they've been testing it at the Nurburgring. Um, and apparently it sound, sounds like it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, even, even better than the EV6 GT. So we'll see, you know, if they, they take that hardware and put it into, 
you know, a sleeker sedan, you know, kind of like the Stinger, um, I think that would be a lot of fun. I could go for that. But the, that what they're going to cool. do is every 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 Hyundai or Kia that comes out is a little bit better than the one before. Mm-hmm. So the EV6 or the Ionic 5G um, N would be better than EV6 GT, but the Stinger would be better than the Ionic 5N and then blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Until the end of time, until their EVs go back in time. Yeah. <laughs> Until it all comes back full circle. All comes start, back full circle. Start back. driving internal combustion again. Yeah, exactly. It all goes back. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Rivian um, this week announced that they too will follow Ford and GM and adopt the NACS charging connector, um, with uh, you know, which is the the connector formerly known as the Tesla charging connector, um, and <laughs> starting sometime early next year. Um, they will have a software update that enables the, the Rivians to charge at superchargers uh, once uh, an adapter becomes available. Um, and then um, uh, they also announced their acquisition of a uh, – what's what was the name of the, the company? Uh, Eternio, uh, a Swedish mapping company. Um, and probably none of you have ever heard of Eternio. I have not. But you have probably heard of one of their main products, yes. uh, a better root planner. Dun, dun, dun. The thing I told Volkswagen to buy like five years ago. If only Volkswagen listened to only, you, Robbie. Someone should have bought it. I felt like Volkswagen should have bought it. And then Raven's like, nope. It's, well, it's none of you guys are going to do it. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll buy it. And the irony is that a, a Volkswagen, one of the Volkswagen Group uh, PR people, told me to use a better route planner once <laughs> while no driving way. their vehicle <laughs> over That's a long trip. They're like, you know, you, that, that was the first time I'd heard of it. They're like, oh yeah, there's, there's this app. It's really cool. You can put in like state of charge, the car, da da da, and it'll tell you where to stop along your way. And I was like, oh, this is genius. And now I use it in my car. It's and you know. And now you'll have it in your Rivian because but apparently they're gonna they're you. gonna. They're going to keep uh, working on it for other – What I think the, the, the term they use is other EV drivers. Yeah, they're, they're going to keep the standalone app that exists today, uh, but also integrate the same stuff into the directly into the nav system in, in Rivian's, uh, which will be a, a big help. And so, Robbie, I think you've probably used it more than, more than any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, explain a little bit more, you know, exactly for those that haven't used a, a better root planner, how, you know, exactly how it works and what, what you can do with it. So it works essentially the same way that Tesla's or route planner works. Um, you, you get the app and you put in the car you're driving. So whatever EV you're driving, you put it in and then you tell it your state of charge at the beginning of your your um, your trip, and then how much charge you want at the end, and then it does calculations, and then it tells you along your route where to stop and for how long, just like the Tesla system, except, you know, you have to do those little extra steps. But I did find out this 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 uh, weekend that you can get an OBD connector, like a Blue BLE, like a Bluetooth low energy uh, connector. So it'll tell the so app. pair of that with your phone. Oh, yeah, cool. it'll tell the app what your state of charge is, so oh, nice. you don't even have to put the thing in. I found this out uh, from Antoine Goodwin over at uh, at CNET. Um, yeah, so it'll it, you can you can actually use that to 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 tell your 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 phone how much what your vehicle state of charge, and it tells a better route planner, and then a better route planner you don't have to put anything in because it knows your car, it knows your state of charge, so all the things again that the Tesla system sort of does or does. 
um, you can do with with this system. So it's it's uh it's it's pretty cool. But the the, the biggest downside is it's, is that it is clearly designed by engineers. So sometimes yeah, you're the like interface is a little the interface is very engineering. Opaque. <laughs> engineering. That's yeah. scary. Oh God, I don't want anything to do with that. And some of the some of the there's like a lot of like. <laughs> There's a lot of like features and like little things. They're clearly only an engineer. Would you it's like your average person? Like, why do I need this? What is all this stuff? Um, so no, it's it's a, but no, I, I really it's it's really great for for again if you have a car that or an EV that doesn't have any sort of route planning like our you know our our Hyundai, our Kona Electric. It doesn't even have navigation because they're just like you're just gonna plug your phone in. So you know you could use it with that. Um, and so yeah, no, it's it's a it's a it is a good system, which I was surprised that no one had snatched up up until now, because I was always thinking like someone's just going to buy this and just implement it. And then they don't have to do all the work because someone else has already done it. And all they get, you know, they got to, they just got to make a few little changes here and there in order to, to, to put it into their system. And and then I was sort of concerned that like once someone buys it, everyone else who uses this app, which if you use it with uh, CarPlay or Android Audio, you pay, pay like four dollars a month. Um, but if you just use it on your phone, it's it's free. But when that happens, oh, they're gonna like kill the app. It's gonna it's gonna be exclusive to this automaker. But it looks like that's not the case. So it's sort of the best of both worlds. So they're gonna have um, it's gonna be in the Rivian, which is good for them because that means they're you know they have money from Rivian. But it also means that they're gonna have money for uh, development for other um, for the app itself. So the app. They can Hopefully, hire a designer or two, you know, to. Yeah. They can hire the person who made the little, like, uh, was it Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever little animal they have in the <laughs> Rivians um, that's wearing, like, a headband and sweats or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole thing. Um, anyway, so they can hire designers to, like, sort of, like, clean up the app a bit so it's easier for regular people to use. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big fan of a better route planner. Um and I'm I'm glad that they uh they finally got they finally got purchased. It just seemed like, man, these 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 uh these folks they are they made this really cool thing and no one seems to know about it. So well, I think what's you know one of the things that's cool oh, about it. Oh, what the heck know, is that? No, wait, now I have Googled. What is that? It looks like a creature from like Sesame Street. Is it a Sasquatch? It's supposed to be like a Sasquatch or a Yeti. I mean, what else would With it be? With a fan and a headband, like he's been working out. Yeah, everybody. I, Sasquatch. I mean, there's a, in this image, there's a dog sitting in the front seat of the car, looking at the camera like, what the heck is that on the screen in front of me? Well, they have a like, dog it's, mode. It's, it's Gary the Gear is. Guard. Yeah, it's, it's Gary the Gear Guard. So, so they so Rivian's also the only company that that had essentially copied Tesla mm-hmm. and put in uh, the dog mode, which I'm That's like, what, everyone should yeah. do that because sometimes you have your dogs in the car and you're like, okay, I, I just need to run to the store really quick, but I cannot just leave my my dog in a car if you're especially if you live in a warm environment because as soon as i turn the because if you i when i drive around to do video we have to turn the air conditioning off in order to do in-car stand-ups while we're driving and it gets it's really hot, hot in really the car really quickly yeah. so if it's a hot day and you're not even moving oh no it's no you don't leave your dog in a car like that but if you had a little air conditioning thing that you, you turn the car off but the ac stays on and it said a little thing hey my the ac is on so my dog doesn't you know Get heat exhaustion. That's that's a genius move. That would be a genius move. And they then should Rivian, all have that. 
Yeah, Rivian added it. I mean, Subaru should have it, really. Yeah. <laughs> come on, of Subaru. all the brands, well, I think, Subaru, come on. I, I think you know what what's cool about what it, what a better route planner does. You know, is you put in your destination, if there might be multiple charging stops, it'll tell you. You know, it can it can calculate based on the vehicle that you've entered and your your initial state of charge where where should you stop and not just where should you stop but also how long should you stay there in order and so you might actually have multiple stops but shorter stops depend and you know it'll drive you down to perhaps a lower state of charge so you can get maximum charging speed so your overall trip length can be as short as possible. Or you can also, I think you can also select, you know, most most efficient um, charging or most efficient route. Uh, but you know, you might stop, you know, at you know charger, you know, charger number one, you know, for uh, when you get to 10% state of charge, you know, for 15 minutes, and then stop 100 miles later, you know, for 20 minutes or seven minutes, you know, or however long. You know, and the overall accumulated time will be less, and that's that's one of the the really cool things that, especially for longer trips, where a better route planner really helps. And actually, this is something that you know this is part of GM's rationale for dropping CarPlay and Android Auto support is they're they're building that into um, into the Google Maps Im- implementation in their infotainment system in their electric vehicles. So they're going to have this supposedly have the same kind of capability built right in as well. Yeah, like uh, who has um, Google? Uh, Polestar and Volvo now have it with with Google Map implementation. Mm-hmm. The Hummer EV has it because it has Android Auto Google Map implementation. So there, everyone's getting there. They should yeah. have gotten there a lot quicker, and it would have been a lot quicker if they had just purchased a better route plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Ford has it with uh, with uh, with. Um, Apple Apple Maps. Okay. Which All I'm right. sure was a huge pain in the butt cuz Apple's really difficult to to deal with. Yeah. Well, and yeah. that's part of why uh why GM is not doing they're just doing it internally. All right. So, um with more and more automakers now jumping on the NACS bandwagon. Um to and in fact, uh, you know, I think Hyundai uh, earlier this week, you know, showed some, showed off some stuff in Korea for their next generation EV platform. And they did indicate that they are looking at adopting NACS for that for that new platform as well. So they probably won't change over their current e- eGMP stuff, but the but the new stuff may switch over to NACS. So Texas was the first one, first state. And now uh, just on Friday, Washington announced that um, any uh, charge station operators that want to get uh, funding uh, through the state will also have to, in addition to the CCS, will also have to include NACS connectors on there. Um, and I think that this is the, you know, the Federal Highway Administration is the one that administers the agency that administers the NEVI program. It's the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program with the $7.5 billion of federal funding. Um, that when, when they published their rules earlier this year, you know, they specified that all, you know, the chargers that get federal funding have to be available to the public and have to include the CCS charging connector. I think they need to make a change right now and add NACS as well, include both um, in order to get that funding. Cause otherwise, you know, there's going to be chargers out there that, um, that don't have NACS, you know, they're publicly funded, you know, there's going to be more and more 
there's going to be more and more EVs with NACS increasingly than CCS over the next several years. And I think they, they just need to go ahead and, and make the change now. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think I talked to you guys a little bit about before us. Um, this whole, like, okay, now we're doing this. It reminds me of that, that Black Mirror episode, Nosedive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, um, where where, where the, the, uh, the main character, she, she, she loses her clout, her social media clout, so she can't fly a plane. So because her social media clout is so low, she has to rent a car, but the car she rents is old. And so when she runs out of juice, she goes to a charging station, and it's not the compatible charging station. <laughs> so yep. we're going to have, you know, we have we have uh, Chatamo, which is, you know, it's really a Japan, and it's still sort of out there because of Nissan Leafs and Mitsubishi. And then they have CCS, and now you have the new Tesla standard. And so, yeah, at some point in the future, you're going to you're gonna rent an old car, and you're going to go to a space station, and you're just going to be hosed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's still going to be, you know, CCS-equipped vehicles on the road well into the 2030s. So we can't just completely abandon that yet. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, my guess is by the end of the year, pretty much every automaker will have announced that they're going to adopt NACS yeah. in North America. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, it's, 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 it's everywhere. We're just going to, and that, that's the other reason, you know, I, I was, we were, we're leasing our EV and one of us, because battery technology keeps getting better. Now I feel like you just lease the EV because of that. And because of the ever changing <laughs> charging, like, you know, what are you going to have? I don't know. I bought a blah, blah, blah. You know, I bought a Chatamo car 10 years ago now. And now well, it's no good. Well, yeah, and you know, most, uh, almost all of the charger manufacturers, over the last several weeks have announced that, yeah, we are, we are going to offer, um, you know, chargers with NACS, um, or both NACS and CCS. And in most cases, they're also going to offer retrofit kits for, uh, existing CCS chargers to either add or replace the connectors with NACS connectors. So, and, and also, um, you know, the major charge network operators, um, EVgo, including EVgo, ChargePoint, and and Blink have all said that they're going to start putting in NACS connectors. The only, the only one that hasn't said anything the yet, the only holdout, is Electrify America. Well, Pablo, and- <laughs> Pablo DC, when asked about this at the ID Buzz uh, unveiling in Huntington Beach, asked about uh, the Tesla charging. Uh, he was like, no. <laughs> Essentially, was his reply was like, "No, that's not." He's, and he's, he's the he's the head of VW Group of America. Yeah, right? yeah, North America's. Yeah. So, so well, I mean, you know, I think this is. It was just Ford, I think, at that point. I don't think it was GM. Too. Yeah, GM I had not announced yet, and neither so, Tesla. So now, so yeah, I, once 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 Hyundai, the Hyundai Group goes, then Ford's. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. Volkswagen, the Volkswagen Group's going to be like, well, okay, fine. Yeah. So I mean, it's, again, at the end of the day, as long as you can get where you want to go as an EV driver, that's that's really. I mean, there's there's Tesla charging stations everywhere. They're just mm-hmm. they're they're like the plague. They're like, well <laughs> everywhere I go, I'm like oh, I didn't even know that was there. The Tesla start charging station. And again, I'm very lucky because I live in Northern California. There's you you can't you know you can't swing a stick without hitting a charging station where I live. But for the rest of the country, I mean, it's really Tesla or nothing. Yeah, if and, and even, even even with even with Tesla though, I mean, there's still you know some significant gaps. Um, Roman Micah um, just did a drive back from Florida back to Colorado in a Model Three, and uh, he 
they post posted a video, you know, took him two and a half days and it was, it was, uh, it was a little grumpy, you know, about the, the charging situation, even for Tesla. And it's much and, better than for, for CCS chargers. So. Yeah. To make Roman grumpy, you gotta be messing up. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, Roman's just like the nicest guy. Yeah. He and he and Tommy are just like the nicest people. They and if are you're making super nice and super and chill. And if you're making if you're making them grumpy, then you know we're we're not we're we're failing. You've done things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we're clearly failing. All right. Um well we got one thing left here, and that is the Chevy Silverado EV. Um What? Yeah. Uh it, it, apparently it's a real thing now. Um <laughs> we first saw it. I I got a I went to a backgrounder for it back in December of 2021 before Christmas, a few weeks before the, before CES, where it was supposed to be unveiled. Um, and then shortly after the, uh, that backgrounder, um, Omicron started blowing up and everybody canceled their plans to go to CES. So mm-hmm. GM did a virtual unveil of the Silverado EV and they've, they've had it at the auto shows over the last 18 months. Um, but now they are finally almost ready to start shipping the work truck version of the Silverado EV to fleet customers. Um, consumers won't be able to get their hands on it till fourth quarter of this year with the high-end RST version. And they'll also be able to – consumers will also be able to buy the work truck if they want as well. Um, I went to an event a couple of days ago uh, here uh, near Ann Arbor. Um and, uh, you know, spent some time, uh, with some of the, uh, the subject matter experts, including, uh, Nicole Kratz, the chief engineer. Uh, and I will have uh, an interview with her a little later on here. Um, but got our first opportunity to get behind the wheel of the Silverado EV and we learned more about it as well. Um, and actually earlier in the week, I, I went to a place here in Livonia, Michigan called Caresoft. It's a company that does, they're a lot like, um, um, and Rowan Associates, they do teardowns and benchmarking and do work for a lot of different companies. And they gave us a tour of their, their facilities. And we saw a bunch of vehicles that had, especially a bunch of EVs that they had done teardowns of and got a chance to compare things like the batteries. You know, they, I mean, they, when they do a teardown, I mean, they completely take it apart. You know, so you had the frames of all these vehicles and the bodies and the batteries and the motors and everything else. Um, and um, one of the things that was interesting there is they they have they have done teardowns of the F-150 Lightning, the Rivian R1T, the Hummer EV pickup, um, and also uh, the BYD POW, which is a Chinese market electric pickup truck. Um, and of those four electric pickup trucks, only one is not actually a body on frame, which I did not realize before and hasn't really been talked about. And that's the Hummer. So, you know, the others, you know, they, they all have a body on frame, you know, it's in fact, the body on frame is effectively a skateboard chassis and, you know, always has been, you know, so you've got, uh, you know, with a gas engine, you know, you've got the gas engine and the, the transmission and the driveline are all installed in there and the suspension, it's all attached to the frame. And then you stick a cab and a bed on top there. Um, and the, you know, the um, F-150 Lightning is basically the same thing, except with electric motors and a battery. The Rivian uses a unit, unitized cab and bed, so it's all one structure, but it's still sitting on a frame with the battery pack in between the frame rails. The Hummer, on the other hand, 
does not have a separate frame. Um, the because you know when they when they first gave us previews of the Altium stuff a couple of years ago, they showed us you know of what looked like a traditional truck frame with the motors and the air suspension from the Hummer and the gigantic battery pack. But that's not actually what they built. <laughs> the when with the the Hummer body. Um, and the same thing is true for the Silverado and the Sierra and presumably for the upcoming Escalade IQ. The, um, there are what are effectively the, the frame rails, but they're actually part of the body structure. So the part of the reason why the Silverado went to this kind of avalanche style body with the, the bed and the cab attached to one another. So it's all one big structure is because the there's no separate frame the frame rails run along the outer perimeter uh of the of that body structure and then the battery pack is bolted in in between those frame rails so the frame rails provide side intrusion intrusion protection for crash but then the the uh the battery pack is bolted up to the bottom of that and it becomes part of the overall structure of the vehicle to to make the whole thing stiffer and Whereas you look at most other EVs, the, the battery pack case is usually made of a combination of composite and aluminum materials to try to reduce the weight. The battery pack of the Hummer and also of the Silverado EV is a big, giant steel case. And, you know, we've talked about the weight of the Hummer before. You know, the curb weight of the Hummer is like 9,200 pounds. And one of you know one of the things that we talked about with with uh with Nicole Kratz is when they start launching versions of the Silverado EV with less range uh the they're not, it's not actually going to use a smaller pack this, they're using the same pack case they're just populating it with fewer modules so right now it's got two layers of 12 modules each so 24 battery modules altogether they're just going to put fewer modules in that same case because that case is part of the structure of the of the vehicle um so the uh on the silverado you know one of the things they talked about when they first previewed it is because you know because it's it's not adapted from their gas trucks they were able to do more stuff make some changes that you know that ford obviously couldn't do with the lightning um like for example they moved the front bulkhead forward several inches and down, so the cowl is moved forward and down, um, and they moved the whole cab forward as well by several inches. And what that did is it allowed them to have a longer bed. And because there's no separation between the cab and the bed, there's just the, the steel wall back there, or in, if, on some versions they'll have a mid gate. You don't have the physical air gap between the cab and the bed. So basically, that gave them an extra six inches of bed length with the tailgate closed compared to the F-150, and it's actually 17 inches longer bed than the than the Rivian. Um, the um, the cab itself, they talked a lot about you know how you know have being an EV you know it doesn't have a, a transmission tunnel and things like that. Well, actually, if you look at any full size pickup today, because they sit up so high and the cab sits above, the transmission shit sits yeah. in, inside the frame mm-hmm. perimeter. They all have flat floors. <laughs> None of them oh, have a transmission tunnel. So you haven't actually gained anything there. And if you look at the dimensions that they've published of the the cab of the um, the Silverado EV versus a gas Silverado or an F-150 or a Ram, they're all almost identical. 
So you haven't actually gained any space. What you do gain, though, is because they've moved it all forward and the cowl is lower, is forward visibility. Forward visibility. See, the cowl lower. See, again, I, I just keep telling for years. They're like, well, it's the same size as before. Yeah, but they made a design decision to reduce, to make that yeah. cowl so tall and at a right angle that you're losing visibility. So adding visibility in a truck is a huge win it's for huge, pedestrians. It's a huge win and for, for drivers because you can't it, like every time you're in a drive-through, it's always the big truck that's like a car in a length behind the car in front of it because you can't, can't tell see. you can't tell how close you are you're like i don't want to pop that car i could be five feet away or five inches and i yeah, don't, I don't know. know i don't know because my truck is because my someone, truck is gigantic someone at a, at a car at a at a at an automaker decided the design should be a right angle where i can't see anything in the front of my vehicle yeah so when you when you get in the silverado ev get behind the wheel you immediately notice that you know, while, you know, it's obviously still a tall, big, big ass truck, you know, you can see a lot closer in front of you than you can yeah. in any other, any gas truck or the lightning for that matter. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly way better than the, than the Hummer, which has, you know, this tiny short vertical windshield and, you know, gi- ginormous hood and everything. Uh, so front forward visibility is much, much improved with the Silverado EV. Of course, you know, that means that it also has a smaller frunk than the F-150. The Lightning is a 14-cubic front trunk. It's only about 10 and a half, which is still oh, good. No. I mean, you still have plenty of plenty of room in there for, <laughs> for tools and stuff. But it is smaller than, than yeah. the Lightning. How much shrimp uh, would you be able to add it to it? Not enough. Not, not enough. Not enough, apparently, yeah. Um, so even with all this, you know, designed as an EV, you know, supposedly optimized as an EV, do you want to take a guess at how, what the curb weight of the Silverado EV work truck is? Oh, my this God. 8,000 no. pounds. 8,500. Go I was going to say 8,500. You changed it. I was going to go 8,500. You said 8,000. Yeah, you got to let Nicole have 85. I was going to go 8,500, and then you like start to change. I got 8,500. Okay. I'm probably still not going to win, Robbie, but you know, I got 85. You, should, you can say 8,001. No, I went to 8,500. <laughs> It's 8,568 pounds for the work truck. Yes! Okay. For the work truck. This is the work truck. So so this doesn't have all the luxury features. It doesn't have air spring suspension. It doesn't have four-wheel steering. Uh, It doesn't have a mid-gate. So, yeah, 8,568 for the curb weight of the the Silverado EV work truck, which is uh, about – Let's see. Uh, it's like 16, almost 1,700 pounds more than a fully loaded Lightning Platinum. And compared to uh, compared to a Lightning Pro with the extended range battery, or actually compared to a Lightning Pro with the standard battery, it's about uh, 2,600 pounds more. What are they doing over there? <laughs> I, I don't know. Really, what are they just – Stop. Did they, did they not know how much this destroyed? Uh, this is the efficiency. Come on. <laughs> Come so on. The the official um, EPA range rating though for this truck is 450 miles. How, yeah, but the battery is like 200 and something kilowatts, right? Yeah, yeah, it's over 200 kilowatt hours. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean they, they've done it. Yeah, you know, but you know it's the same. It's the exact same battery that's in the Hummer. And the Hummer is only 329 miles, but you know this truck has much better aerodynamics than the Hummer. The Hummer has a drag coefficient of 0.5, and the 
the the Silverado EV is 0.331. Oh, yeah, um, and the, the Lightning is 0.44. So it's way better aero. Um, it's also, you know, compared to the, the Hummer, it's several inches narrower. Um, and it's also, uh, instead of riding on those, you know, 35 inch all-terrain tires, it's, it's on, um, um, lower rolling resistance, all season tires. So it's, it's a much better, um, much more efficient than the Hummer. Still not, you know, particularly efficient as I mean, EV goes. If you put goes. 200 kilowatts and 400 miles, you're getting two, two miles per kilowatt hour. That's, I'm just throwing yeah. it out there. Yeah, it's. It was uh, on the short drive we did, it was showing about 1.8. Um, but I mean, we only literally had like 20 minutes behind the wheel. It was like a short loop, you know, in an area Mm -hmm. southwest of Ann Arbor. Um, the, uh, on the work truck, it's, they're all like the, like the lightning, they're all dual motor. There's no single motor version of it. There's no rear drive version of it. So single motor, but that's 510 horsepower, 615 foot pounds of torque, I think. Which is quite a bit less than the Lightning, um, and it and it's heavier. Um, so you know, again, not um, it doesn't feel as quick off the line. It's still plenty quick, but you can tell. You know, I did a, you know, I brought it to a stop and you know floored it, and it it does not feel as quick as the Lightning does. But I mean, you know, Lightning goes zero to sixty in four seconds. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be able to do that in a well, you don't truck. Need to, but you don't it's, need it's to. still plenty. It's still plenty quick. Like watch um, the freedom on a Hummer is just dumb. I yeah, just, I, I I haven't driven both of the the SUV and the truck. I'm like this is this is not something this vehicle should have. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it just no, I agree. It's, it's, well, and and in the work it, yeah. truck, I don't think they have the watch to freedom or the it's uh what is it? It's the wow mode on this on the Chevys. I forget wide open something. Wide open wonder. Yeah, brand. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> any, anyway, um, the RST the the um, the Silverado RST that's coming uh, in Q4 it will have that wow mode. The work truck doesn't get that, and it doesn't need it. Um, I don't need this. One of the downsides of that weight, though, you know, is they wanted to keep this as a Class 2B truck, so it's technically light duty. Um, it, the GVW is 9,000. The gross vehicle weight rating is 9,990 pounds. So that means it's only got 1,400 pounds of payload capability. Uh, versus, um, you know, the, uh, lightning, which depending on what configuration you get can be as much as 2,200 pounds. There is going to be in the fall, um, a version of the, the work truck with fewer battery modules populated, a 350 mile range, which is still more than the, the longest range on the lightning. Um, and that one will, you know, because they've put fewer battery modules in there, it'll be, it'll have a lighter curb weight. So it should be able to accommodate more. It's, it'll probably get closer to 2,000 pounds of payload, maybe even maybe even beat the 2,200 of the uh, of the Lightning. Um, one thing that um, I think was a good choice uh, in this vehicle is the uh, the Silverado. Rather than because it again because it's not sharing stuff with the gas trucks, um, is uh, it, it doesn't have the uh, the center console shifter. It's got a column mounted shifter, and it's it's just an electronic switch like you find in a lot of other EVs. Um, so that leaves the center console open. So you've got a lot of storage uh, cubbies in the center console, like just a tremendous amount of storage to put stuff. It doesn't have a cookie surface. Um, <laughs> 
Forget it. I'm out. Um, <laughs> we call it a burrito surface here in this country. Okay. Burrito surface. Okay, yeah. you're wrong. It's a cookie surface, but okay. Fine. Well, it depends on what part of the country. It's like soda no, and cookies pop. Cookies are everywhere. Yeah. Cookies are everywhere. Everywhere. I, what else? You could call them biscuits if you want to be in England, but cookies are biscuit surface. <laughs> mm, I think the, the importance of cookies is lower here because <laughs> we got burritos. We have burritos, but cookies are the no, cookies you are have, more important. I mean, cookies are more important everywhere. Burritos and cookies. air quotes. Every, well, yes, but everybody <laughs> loves cookies. There are cookies, no air quotes needed, no matter where you roam. They're universal. Burrito. <laughs> anyway, the burrito tray is gone. If you, if you... <laughs> the tray of now undetermined now we're just, usage. <laughs> now we're just arguing about food as yes. opposed to the fact that it doesn't have a, a workspace. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I actually think that way. workspace thing is actually really cool. I think it's a great idea, honestly, just as a workspace. I I've used yeah. I've used it with yeah. my laptop before, and it worked really nice. Yeah. So the uh, the work truck um, has an eight inch digital cluster in front of the driver, eleven inch center touchscreen. Um, interesting detail, you know, when 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 they when GM announced when they briefed me that they were taking out smartphone projection, they said, yeah, it's not going to be on any of the new EVs, including the Silverado EV. Well. The Silverado EV work truck still has that in there. So it's got the Android Auto-based system, infotainment system, does. and it still has support for the uh, for uh, CarPlay and, and Android Auto in there. Um, so you, you It's know, probably already baked in before they made the decision. They're like, well, no yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'll be curious to see well, if they take it out at the, some point. In the, in, the, in the gallery, you can actually see the CarPlay logo in the top right-hand corner. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Whoops. Oopsie. Oopsie daisy. So, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the, the version, the, the launch version, they're building them now. They're in low volume initial production. Uh, they hope to start deliveries, uh, soon. They said they wouldn't be pinned down to a specific date. Uh, but, you know, probably sometime in July, uh, they'll start shipping them to fleets. Um, they've got, uh, orders from, 350 fleets that they're going to prioritize initially, and then in the, later in the fall start consumer deliveries. Um, but uh, the 450 mile range version that they're building initially has a price, including delivery, of uh, about seventy nine thousand uh, dollars. And then for the um, for the uh, the 350 mile range version, it'll be five thousand dollars cheaper. Uh, otherwise, you know, identical. Uh, and then the RST, the high-end uh, consumer truck, coming uh, in in the fourth quarter, that's going to be $105,000. Um, and then um, next year, they're going to introduce the Trail Boss version as well. Uh, so that'll be a more off-road oriented version. Um, we we did learn a little bit more about the transition plans for NACS. So obviously, right now they're building them with um, with CCS connectors. Sometime after, sometime probably they don't have a specific date yet, but probably in 2025 um, with the model year changeover. So probably for the model year 26, so mid second half of 2025, um, they will switch from using CCS connectors to uh, NACS connectors on there. Next year, the the trucks they're building now will get a software update to enable. Um, uh, charging from uh, superchargers, and at some point in there, they will have an adapter available. They're still working on where they're going to source those from, who's going to actually who's going to manufacture them. 
Um, but, uh, and they're still, they haven't made decisions yet, or at least nothing that they're willing to talk about yet as far as the, uh, the, the pricing, um, you know, whether they're going to give those adapters to customers or they'll have to pay for them. Yeah. So they're still working out all those details. Dun, dun, dun. We'll see. Yeah. No so, cookie slash burrito uh, table though. So Nicole <laughs> and I are out. We're out. Either way, Rob and I like there is not a food surface for whatever food we like best. Done. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Chevy. Sorry, Chevy, but you need a food surface. We can agree on yeah. food surface. Can we agree on food surface, Roberto? Yeah. Food surface. Okay, okay food surface. Okay. Regional food surface area. Regional food <laughs> surface area. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I had a chance to uh, chat with Nicole Kratz, the chief engineer on the Silverado EV. And we talked about uh, a variety of stuff around this truck. And she provides some more detail on some of the things that, uh, that they've changed relative to the Hummer. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it, it's also got, you know, all the, the, um, uh, offboard power stuff and bi-directional charging stuff, um, that you'll find on a certain other electric pickup truck. Um, so you get 10.2 kilowatts of offboard power. And she said, when we had our big ice storm earlier this year, back in March, and everybody lost their power, she said, uh, she ran her house, you know, from, she's been driving the, the Silverado EV for about a year now, and she's put about 10,000 miles on hers. And, uh, um, she said she used it for a couple of days to power all the stuff in her house while the power was out. So, uh, definitely worked for her. Um, so I'm going to drop that in here. So this is Nicole Kratz, chief engineer on the Silverado EV. Yeah. So I uh, just want to talk a little bit about the, the Silverado work tr- Silverado EV work truck uh, for wheel bearings. Um, so let's start off. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but kind of the the give me an overview of kind of what was the thinking you know in creating this truck. You know, you've obviously taken a very different approach from Ford. Um, and what was what was the, the kind of the overall rationale and the direction you've taken with this truck uh, in terms of its design, architecture, range, and so on? So I think the first thing is strategically, we need an EV architecture for a full-size truck that will stand the test of time. And um, doing a full-size pickup truck off of a body-on-frame architecture does not allow you to optimize the design of the truck for an EV usage. So you're going to carry legacy in poor designs because you're not using a transmission, you've got a transmission tunnel. Because you're not using an engine, your frame rails are wide in the front and you've got worse steering circles. And so strategically, we wanted to lead the market in volume in full-size EV pickup trucks. The only way to do that was to develop a ground-up vehicle. We had to um, look at how we could optimize steering circles because we're only putting motors, electric motors, in the front rather than combustion motors. We don't have a transmission tunnel. We don't have exhaust. They're not underneath the floor, and so the floor can be flat. We can reconfigure the whole truck because we don't have an engine to fit into that front end, and so we can move that IP forward. We can lower the cowl and have better forward visibility because the engine height. All of these things are um, perhaps nuances to the big stories of 450 miles and 10,000 pounds of towing and you know 100 miles and 10 minutes of fast charging. Those are the big things that bring customers to us first because we're clearly the best. 
in the EV segment. But the but the small things are what everyone will learn to appreciate as they are owning the vehicle. And the small things are I can see better. I've got more room. I've got more space to put my stuff. I can turn into a parking spot and it's easy. I'm not back and forth, back and forth, as you know, um, with the full-size truck. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a real challenge, <laughs> right? you know, parking I, I, these things. This is my truck sitting right here. It's got 10,000 miles on it, and I never have to back and forth into a parking spot ever again now, and it doesn't even have rear steer. Um, and so all of these opportunities, I mean, we know our full-size truck customers. We are full-size truck drivers on my team, and I, the first time I ever came to EVs was on this product. So I came from an ICE full-size truck customer experience to an EV customer experience. And so it was number one, had to be a truck. Everything that I do with my pickup truck better be able to be done on an EV because the price of entry is it's still a full-size pickup truck. Then what can we get from an EV? Instantaneous torque, no lag in, in performance, you know, off the, off the line, just ready to go and peppy. Great towing, great energy usage. I can take all this battery power and, and powered my house, by the way, in the ice storm that we had a couple months ago for a couple of days and it was easy and it wasn't loud and there wasn't all this you know activity around my house have to refill the gas tank in 12 hours (laughs) and and i unplugged it i had only lost like five or ten percent charge and i was still able to go on my way and still get to work it wasn't like i was at zero percent charge and now i'm stuck at home without power and i don't so this 450 mile pack is not just about driving 450 miles it's about giving you energy for anything that you need frankly yeah i mean we just took a short drive in this thing what do you think this very impressive particularly you mentioned visibility is a big thing yeah you know, and that you know with the the, the growth in size of full-size trucks and utilities in the last 15 20 years you know has become a real challenge yeah. you know looking out and you know seeing what's in front of you yeah and there you can really tell the difference you know because you've moved the cowl forward and down yep. in this thing it does make a huge difference in terms of forward visibility um, certainly plenty of room inside there um, I think one thing that's that's interesting is a lot of conversation around EVs you know skateboard platforms mm-hmm. and this is not a skateboard platform it you've gone a completely different direction with this I and mean, even the Rivian you know which is also a, a unibody truck but it's still sitting on a, on a frame, and there's no frame in this. No, there's no frame. So we actually like to talk about this as a new kind of architecture, body architecture, that we've created. So the battery pack itself is part of the structure of the truck. It, it um, has safety implications with it in terms of crash worthiness for side impacts, for front impacts. It's part of the body structure. It's part of the ride and handling feel, so you guys... Um, when you drove, felt some really amazing ride, drive dynamics, a very solid feeling truck connected to the road. It's all part of the structure. It bolts up to a body. Now, it doesn't extend like a frame would on a traditional body and frame pickup truck. So we put structure, unibody-ish structure into the truck bed and into the front rails in the front of the vehicle um, where the battery structure isn't. And so we really do call this a new type of body architecture where we can bolt up the uh, battery structure. It becomes part of the truck. It integrates with the truck. And when we want lower range um, vehicles, which we know are price points and people will want, all we're doing is taking the cells and the modules out of the battery. We're not um, changing the dimensions of that 
pack. The battery case itself the case remains the same. The case is always the same. And so if you think about this in terms of complexity and modularity and usability, like it's awesome. It's a it's a flexible architecture that you can go all the way down to a you know 250 mile range pack if you wanted to, and you're just pulling cells out and you're you know balancing center of gravity, but you're just pulling stuff out and the structure is still there. And um, is that, so is that why the the battery case itself is made of steel as opposed to Absolutely. aluminum or uh, composites like you find on a lot yep. of other EVs? I mean, we're going to protect the battery mm-hmm. and we're going to pe- protect our people. Yeah. And protecting our people from side pulls, whether it's an ICE or an EV, there's certain crash criteria that we want to we want to meet. And so that being steel helps with that. And then of course making sure that the least amount of intrusion into a battery. Um, wherever you're in an accident is is also primary for us, and, and that's why that's a steel pack. So um, one of the things, you know, there's, there's been some specs that have changed since the truck was originally announced yeah. uh, almost a year and a half ago. You've got more range now. You, you're up, up to 450 miles roughly combined yep. range, um, which is very impressive for, for a truck this size, um, and certainly a lot more than what you get from any other currently available Over 120 electric. miles more yeah. than the next best, so, um, if I was counting. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hummer, you know, which is you know, a little bit shorter, but wider, a um, little bit heavier, you know, I mean, compared compared to this. Um, that's only about 329, I think, miles. So what are some of the things that allow the Silverado to have so much more range compared to both the Hummer as well as other competing pickup tr- electric pickup trucks? Um, I think it's efficiency fully integrated throughout the truck. And the first thing is um, the narrow stance and the coefficient of drag. We've got one of the lowest coefficient of drags. I think it is the lowest coefficient of drag in a full-size truck um, at 0.331. And so the Hummer is a very square front end, you know, very much a super truck, Hummer-like looking truck. And so it's at a disadvantage from an aerodynamics perspective for sure. Um, it's a great truck, by the way, with 330 miles, and, and I've been able to, to even get more than that out of that truck. And so we're always designing efficiencies into our trucks. Um, the Ultium battery pack is a shared pack with our Hummer, um, but we have year-over-year changes, and so we've done some things in the Silverado that are also going to cast into the Hummer, and so customers will get the benefit of constantly improving calibrations, efficiencies, and that Ultium battery pack structure gets into all of our battery electric um, trucks, not just the Silverado EV. And then there's systems inside of the truck that we've optimized with our HVAC system. Um, most of the electrical architecture in this truck is not shared with our Hummer, and so we were able to do some things differently than what we had with the Hummer. And so um, all of those efficiencies, I don't want to talk about them in specifics, but HVAC, chassis controls, um, riding, like every single thing that touches the road um, you know, it's not an off-road truck in terms of the super truck of the Hummer. And so the rolling resistance of these tires are um, optimized for driving performance and for braking and for cornering and for range and efficiency. So when you look throughout the truck, it's really been focused on a mainstream full-size truck that has great efficiencies and doesn't give any performance up. So is this, uh, you mentioned the electrical architecture, is this a, a next generation or, or a next iteration up from the VIP architecture that's uh, launched on Hummer and Lyric yeah. last year? Yeah, so the software-defined vehicle um, that uh, General Motors has talked about, this is one of the early stages of that endeavor. And so it's not the same electrical architecture as the Hummer started with. 
So presumably um, this will have at least uh, some capability to do over-the-air software upgrades, Absolutely. add new features and capabilities yep. over the life of the vehicle. There's a whole team, and I'm not the expert on what they are, but I will tell you that I know there's a whole team working on in-market enhancements, opportunities for updates. We absolutely use our over-the-air updates to give the customer an improved experience over time with all the calibrations, and then they'll have opportunities to purchase um, apps and features as well in the vehicle. And yes, this is one of the starts of that. And one of those features that's coming, which will presumably be at least part of it will be through an OTA update is support for the Tesla supercharging network next year, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be um, OTA. Well, I mean, it'll be OTA from the production truck because, of yeah. course, all the trucks will end up right. there. Right, the trucks, the trucks are built yeah, yeah. now up until the point, up until that point. Yeah, um, a lot of the work that we're doing right now is to try to get the charging network capability on the Tesla superchargers through the My Chevrolet app. So there'll be a few things that'll need to be OTA'd into the truck itself um, with the calibration activity on the battery to the charger. But um, in reality, the Chevy app is where we're going to have the customer seamless experience to go up to a Tesla charge station and be able to charge their vehicle. Okay. And then, of course, um, you know, being in, in competition with some some very uh, other, important other companies uh, in your space. Like who? You, uh, well, I'm just kidding. You don't have to say <laughs> yeah. Ford. It's Ford. Okay. We just you, so happen you, to maybe you know. You, you, you know I Down mean, the road. I mean, competition is a good thing. I mean, Absolutely. The, all, all, all three companies, Ford, GM, Ram, you're always pushing each other forward. We are. And, you know, so you've got, you know, a lot of the features that people have really liked about that other truck. You've found those and, and even gone beyond some of that with the, the, power, the, the uh, power output capabilities. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, so I'll just say that at the time that we're ideating on this truck, we did not know what the Lightning would have. Okay. So I didn't put a Lightning on the wall and say, let's make sure we have everything they have plus. Um, I, I, want, I, don't, I don't mean to say that as if I wouldn't be willing to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you always want to know your competition. You always want to be better. You always want to have improved performance and, and capabilities. But we truly didn't have a roadmap available on what a full-size electric pickup truck would need to be and need to look like, especially for our fleet customers. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is um, we were hell-bent on how can we power our home, how can we power tailgates, what do we do with our pickup trucks today, and what are our pain points? And our pain points were really loud gas generators. And so the team set out and said, all right, well, how are we going to get off-board power? What are we going to do? And we added in this module that is not in any of our other battery electric pickup trucks or battery electric vehicles, for that matter. And that module is giving you on-board 7.2 um, kilowatts of power. And then as well, um, there's an accessory power bar that plugs into our charge port that gives you an extra three. So you can get 10.2 of total off-board power, 10.2 kilowatts of total off-board power. And it's powering this evening our taco food truck, our barbecue food, uh, food truck. If needed, it would char you know, uh, run lights. It, it runs... You, it's really hard to find 10.2 oh, kilowatts. You've got it hooked up here to all kinds of <laughs> You're tools You're barely stuff. using, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but 10.2 is really important when you want to get to a job site that's got heavy machinery and a home. So think of just construction crews for like homes or warehouses, things where you want to power things up and they don't have the power line in yet. And I've been able to just seamlessly turn my truck on and power my house. And those are the kinds of things that we really think are the opportunities for an EV pickup truck rather than just a pickup truck. So um, 
production is starting. Well, they're in. You're in production now. Limited production now with the work truck. Yep. And delivery starting soon. Soon-ish. Ish. <laughs> and then uh, Q4 of this year. Uh, retail customers will be able to get start getting the RST, right? Correct, absolutely. So the team is focused on building in the plant at Detroit um, Hamtramck Factory Zero. We are building our limited production vehicles, making sure we've got quality execution, supply chain, everything running so that we can continue to deliver to our work truck fleet customers. And at the same time, the team that you guys have seen here today that are super passionate like me, who are driving around in these trucks, they are uh, developing this RST. There's a couple of test trucks around here, actually, as you drive around and you can see, we're constantly trying to innovate. We want to make things better. Um, the best is yet to come with the RST. And even today, I can tell you that we're finding more and more things that we're going to improve on, that we're going to make better, that you know, we just want to be um, better than where we ever thought we could be. We just have this passion to drive ourselves really hard. And the great thing about this is it can go back into the work truck. If it's a battery efficiency that we find, it can go back into our whole lineup with the Altium um, infrastructure. And so we're just And not committed. just in new trucks, but some of it, you know, if it's software-based, even software in the based trucks that are already in the field. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Great. All right. Anything else you want to add about uh, the Silverado work truck? I just think that um, it's really a truck first and then it's an EV. And I think that people tend to wonder or question whether or not you can really have a capable electric pickup truck. And I'm, I'm hoping that what has resonated with you today in the drive is that it's absolutely pickup truck first. And then being an EV, it makes it really more fun, exhilarating, uh, refined, and just awesome. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, guys. All right. And we're back. Um, and um, before, I've got one more interview that I did uh, a few weeks back um, with uh, Nimrod uh, Nehushtan from uh, Mobileye, talking about Mobileye's um, mapping strategy, their road experience management system for mapping and why it's so important for driver assist and, and automated driving systems. Uh, but before we jump to that, um, let's say goodbye for this week. Uh, anything else that uh, you guys want to share before we go? That's it. All right. No, I don't got nothing. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to you all next Bye, time. Everyone. And, and Bye. here's my conversation with uh, with Nimrod Nehushtan from Mobileye. Um, so uh, why don't we dive right in um, and you know, maybe give me an overview of what you're going to be talking about later around RAM. Mapping mapping's a big area that's yes. gaining a lot of interest. Yeah, so I think the um, – first of all, the objective is to explain why maps are needed for kind of the next generation of products in, in the automotive industry. Um, and they're, you know, they're the, the way we come or the approach we have is, is very similar to how humans are driving. And in the same sense that you're driving much, much more carefully or comfortably, confidently, and driving your daily commute, you know, driving places you've been before, you know, and you can anticipate in advance what's coming. Um, well, when you're driving places that you've never been before, like in a new country, uh, new road conditions, new driving rules, you're, you're much more likely to have, you know, dangerous events or break the rules or whatever it may be. And what we want to achieve is kind of a, a, um, a replica of this memory or um, the same uh, benefits. Or institutional we, knowledge exactly, of the roads. Exactly. Yeah. Now, this is dramatically, this is dramatic for um, autonomous driving, but also for driver assist because this problem of, of anticipating and properly understanding 
the driving structure or the driving rules and the road structure, the geometry of the road, the meaning of different objects in different places in the world is one of the most complicated problems to you know, generalize well. Uh, if you think about uh, traffic lights, for example, which is you know a very common day-to-day feature that you, we as humans you know encounter every day, um, the traffic light structure is very globally uh-huh. in a very in a very big way. I mean, if you think about uh, Paris versus Detroit versus Israel versus Shanghai, you have many differences that you must understand if you want to be crossing a junction in a safe way. So it's not a small thing. You cannot cross a junction without properly understanding these nuances. So the, the thing is that if you try to kind of solve this through online sensors, it becomes a very complicated problem that requires a lot of compute, a lot of data, and it's, it's simply something that, to, to date, you can hardly find any technology that addresses all these sub-problems, right, like traffic lights and traffic signs, crosswalks, lane markings, types, you know, driving speeds, and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, I was talking to Luca earlier this year, um, telling him about my first experience trying Tesla's FSD beta yeah. here in Michigan. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have a phenomenon here they call the Michigan left turn yeah. on some of the major thoroughfares, uh, yeah. like Woodward Avenue and Telegraph, that are divided roadways. Yeah, I'm well aware of these yeah. turns. Yeah, so, you know... We we were on uh, Woodward Avenue and the, it was supposed to do a Michigan left turn, and the car had no clue at all how to handle it. It it would pull up to it, slow down, look at it, say, I don't know what to do, and, and then move on and, and go to, until and it found it. And if you're a local here point. in Detroit, yeah. that's like a routine maneuver mm-hmm. that you do every day, hundreds yeah. times a day, and that's exactly what we what we're emphasizing that. It is extremely complicated to reach the same level, the consistent level of safety and comfort in driving functions without a consistent interpretation of the driving rules and the, and the road. So that, that is kind of the premise and the idea behind having high-precision maps, regardless if it's through mobilized RAM or whatever different solution you can think of. The challenge is, though, how can you create a map that can scale? And when you think about the problems in, in mapping, First of all is, is, of course, geographic scale. You need to cover all the roads everywhere. But second is the map needs to be updated. So, again, driving here in Detroit just now, you have, I don't know how many construction zones. And we come from Israel, so we yeah. think that we, that we know what a construction zone we, is. We, we have two seasons here, winter and construction <laughs> season. <laughs> exactly. So every winter you have holes and potholes, and then you need to, to build the, renovate the roads. And so, so a map that cannot be updated continuously and is, you know, in a very, very, very quick manner and cost not, effective. Yes, yeah. it's not even. I'm even yeah. putting cost aside for a minute. Just talking about the usefulness mm-hmm. of the solution will not be a useful so, uh, product because you cannot trust it. Mm-hmm. If the map is only correct 20% of the time or 15% of the time, how do you know if the map is correct or not? It becomes kind of a mega problem now to solve. Mm-hmm. So. If you can have this map that includes these features, a full comprehensive understanding of the road structure, driving rules everywhere, and you can create it at scale, and you can make sure it continuously is continuously updated, then you have something. Uh-huh. Now, there is a third layer. When you now start to think of this, now now it brings you into this how question, right? So. So we established the why and what. Now let's start to think about the, the how and you know, in the industry, of course, we're not the only company that is busy around mapping. Um, what you might almost always find is like a survey fleets that are built with many, many sensors, 
And these service fleets are then deployed in specific areas you want to map, let's say Detroit, California, whatever it may be. And then they're driving you know, a certain pattern, and you have a semi-automatic process afterwards, and you create a map, which inherently does not solve the scalability and the map updates problem because it becomes so expensive to maintain. You need like hundreds of thousands of cars to cover all of the United States in that way. So our idea came, and I had had the benefit of being involved in REM since January 2017. So that's like one of the first months. Very early. Yeah, yeah. one of the first I think, months. I think it was 16, 16 when it was first announced. Yes, yeah. 16 was first announced. So I was with, with REM mm-hmm. at the early days, the seeding stage. And the idea was, how can we leverage the strong ADAS footprint Mobileye has? So we were selling tens of millions of IQ chips for ADAS purposes to kind of upload pieces of puzzles to a cloud, and then we can build a puzzle. Now, the problem we need to solve is how can you, first of all, how these pieces will represent everything you need to know, um, but then how can you build a puzzle automatically in the cloud? And by design, we thought about a, you know, automatic process that will be seamless and, you know, be able to continuously update, because these uh, guidelines were our design guidelines for day one. And... Um, you know, the benefit we have is the fact that we have tens of millions of cars driving everywhere. everywhere. So by designing an efficient way to upload data that represents what each car saw in a specific road at any given point in time, now you have the right pieces of the puzzle and you need to solve the puzzle. You need to find the right way to align the different pieces and the, the task is very much like building a puzzle in, in a way. So that is how we got to where we are with REM today. And today, the maturity of the technology, and uh, again, one of the things I, I want to kind of uh, de- uh, deliver in the, in the message, in the uh, lecture, is that this is not some kind of a far-out idea for, you know, high-end autonomous vehicles whenever, or something like that. It has the potential to redefine what it means, basic driver assist functions. Mm-hmm. Because if you think of basic driver assist functions, the, the innovation growth is kind of linear, it's slowly but surely, slowly but surely, because there is a very strong constraint about system cost. Mm-hmm. So there is only so much you want to add to the basic uh, price of the car. Um, and the benefit here is that we're building a database. So by connecting cars to a cloud, you can have access to a database that has a lot of information. And now you can enrich the experience of everyone, not just high-end autonomous vehicles, um, through this database. So now you can offer new features like a traffic, again, going back to the traffic light, think of traffic light alert when you're about to cross a red light mm-hmm. or think about, you know, um, uh, yielding when you need to yield or, you know, uh, instructing you if this traffic light is a right on red or not and providing all this information in real time to the driver through the access to this database. And, and these are not features that are attainable today um, anywhere. So what we see is that through this database, there, there will be a certain population of cars that will utilize this the full extent that you can for hands-off driving, eyes-off driving, robo-taxis, and all the, you know, uh, le- what is traditionally called level 2 plus and above uh, levels of autonomy. We, we as you know, moved, moved away from this taxonomy, but uh, all the hands-off, eyes-off, yeah, <laughs> Every, all the hands-off, eyes-off, no-driver yeah. type of yeah. application will, of course, it will be a subset of all cars, but then the vast majority in the, in, in the next few years will still be hands-on, eyes-on cars. But these will also access REM for enhancement, mm-hmm. for better safety and yep. new features. That is kind of our vision. And you can already see a few OEMs that are tapping into this vision or 
um, you know, um, uh, have a similar mindset. So um, Volkswagen is kind of the, the best example that we can relate to publicly because most right, of the they're, most they're of the things were announced and they're tra- and they're travel assist. travel assist. Exactly. Yeah, I was trying to remember so, the branding. So Volkswagen started, you know, travel assist, which is you know the Golfs and all the low end twenty thirty thousand euro cars. Um, access RAM to enhance travel assist, which offers you better lane centering, lane keep assist, crossing junctions, and so on. As a driver, it drives. In addition to that, we have announced a project with Porsche for a supervision system, which is a hands-off system. So you can think of the entire spectrum of offering through this um, car manufacturer that all of these next-generation products leverage RAM in a different way. You know, maybe subset of RAM, maybe the full extent of RAM. But this is why we think that there is so much value in this, because this, it's, it's about enabling a new type of, uh, of capability that kind of unlocks a lot of different things that so far seem to be maybe far out. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, there's also Polestar 4 that's coming to mm-hmm. North America next year. Zika is coming to Europe. Yeah, with, with supervision. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, and this is a big part of why, uh, I, you know, I rank Mobileye at the top of the leaderboard this year because mm-hmm. of this approach that the company has taken with you know, taking the, the technologies that developed for hands-off, eyes-off, yeah. brain-off, and you know, bringing components of that down into mainstream vehicles today that are affordable, that you know, people can, can purchase and gain benefit yeah. from this technology. That is a very smart point um, that we, uh, honestly, we failed to continues to emphasize it because it's so important that we take it for granted because this is in our day-to-day lives. But just to give an example why this is such a unique setup. So our CTO is responsible for the driving policy development. Mm -hmm. He's sitting one floor in our building, one floor above the team that is developing RAM. And every day he understands new features or kind of conceives new features, new capabilities that RAN needs to deliver for the high-end, far-out autonomous vehicles. Then this is trickled down, you know, to what RAM can offer. And then we use this to offer this for driver assist. So the fact that we're not not a standalone mapping company that tries to guess what might be a good feature to add to the map. We, and in one side, we are continuously kind of working on autonomous vehicles end to end. And what, what, are the, what are the features that you need exactly. to enable that? And you build that into RAM. And then we leverage this to redefine what dr- basic driver assist means yeah. in a very cost efficient way. So this kind of interplay between our autonomous vehicle development and ADAS footprint allows us to, you know, it's kind of a win-win situation. So the entire industry, regardless if it will source a supervision program or not, can benefit from all these learnings, right? And this helps us to kind of redefine what it means to have the basic or the entry-level driver assist, what can be a you know, very common feature in two, three, four, five years from now. And, and while there are a number of other companies building similar types of solutions for, for mapping crowdsource maps, um, you guys have had a five, five-year head start yeah. in production. Yeah, you know, uh, you've got millions of vehicles on the road that are already contributing data to RAM on a daily basis yes. and, and keeping those maps fresh. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Yeah, sorry, just wanted to say that it's, it's a fair point, and there are many. Um, there were many announcements about crowdsource mapping activities from whatever different companies. There were some acquisitions in in this field towards this 
Um, but the name of the game in crowdsource mapping is crowd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you in have the to name, have, literally. Yeah, that scale of vehicles that <laughs> and, are actually yeah. contributing data. So I think the fact, and I don't want you to kind of talk about others. Mm -hmm. I think you can talk to others better than I do. But I think that the benefit we have or the advantage we have is the fact that we have started this activity early, so six, seven years ago. We have started getting data from crowd fleets in 2018. So these are five years of kind of working continuously, tirelessly about improving it, refining it, extracting new learnings, understanding uh, driving patterns from pe from people, understanding how to average those uh, driving patterns, and, and, and so I on. Think, I think, to me, you know, I think when I when I did the the, super, the first supervision ride with the team here, the thing that I learned from that that I hadn't known before was it you know it was not just about understanding the the road and the features around the road you know for localization, but also understanding the driver behavior exactly yeah so that in those cases where your sensors cannot see the road yeah you know to and, understand you know, and basically what to do. there are three there are three pros to this approach one is the, the geographic scale mm -hmm. coverage you can cover all roads second is the update rates third is the fact that you can, you can learn how people are driving so when you think about higher um, levels of autonomy like hands off drive hands free driving eyes off driving it is our way to make the cars local wherever we are operating the car so if the car is now deployed in detroit compared to Munich or Tokyo or Shanghai. You can drive like a, a Detroit driver. A lot of these parameters of how driver. people are driving in Detroit or in Tel Aviv, sort of like a, the Turing test, or if you want to blend in yeah. like, and not be a robot amongst people, um, you, a lot of these parameters that define how a local is driving are embedded in the map. So the driving speeds and right-of-way uh, conventions and so on. These are the things that you can eventually abstract what it means to be driving as a local, right? And these are exactly the features that are embedded in the map. So if you drive in, you know, operating in Detroit in the first time, I think we started three, four years ago, was three, four weeks of work, of kind of customization, localization of the system, the entire system to Detroit. That's it. If you think about others who are operating like, um, you know, on a city by city basis, it takes them years. Yeah. So just three, four weeks, and that is, you know, 80% of this is, is true for the United States, just to, just to kind of localize it for the United States and driving rules and so on. And the same goes for Munich and Japan and, and France and Shanghai and all the places that we have, we're operating in, in the last couple of years. So I think this is a very, very strong advantage of having this, not only the crowdsource mapping, but also understanding what is, what is interesting to extract from crowd driving. Yeah. And then embedding it in the map so that the, um, the driving function can, can benefit from it. And, and drive like very naturally. This is probably the biggest, um, I would say, compliment that we're getting. Um, you know, everyone who's busy in, robo in uh, robotics is the, the biggest compliment you can get is that it's very natural. <laughs> yeah. There is always the, one of the biggest problems to solve. Robots are robots, eventually. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you can learn how humans are driving, you can make the robot much more natural. And then you think about yourself, you drove in, the, in our systems. It's a lot more comfortable and relaxing, and you can trust the system, you know, sooner and easier, as opposed to driving in a robot that feels like a robot that is very hesitant, very conservative, um, and practically not as useful as it could have been. Yeah. This is how it's, how we see it. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time, yeah. um, but it's always good to talk to you. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.